everyone. This is Pastor Andrew. Welcome to Tilken Baptist Church Podcast. I'm really glad that you're here with us today. And I hope that you are ready to move into a new series on joyful fellowship and uh, really to get into this place where we can begin to really talk about what it looks like to have joyful fellowship with Christ and that the beginning of that joyful fellowship with Christ starts with obedience and repentance. Those are two words that are often used in ways that, you know, sound really scary and like that's about God judging us. And when it's really about living in freedom, walking with Christ and intimacy with him. And I just want to warn you before you listen to this, I'm going to go a little bit heavy here, especially when it comes to the topic of confession and repentance. I'm sharing a little bit of my own story of how God has redeemed me and transformed me and saved me from, um, I'll I'll call it an addiction, uh, to pornography. And and I know that's going to jar a little bit uh, people who would push back and and uh, and I just want you to know that this has been a process for me. I've gone through uh, the seven pillars of freedom that Pure Desire Ministries puts out, puts out. and I've been through a couple groups um, and even one recently because I just wanted to really just continue to uh, work towards my own health and continue to be a part of an accountability group. And I just want you guys to know that that program has been a really meaningful one for me. And if you haven't checked it out, I would go to their website and call Pure Desire Ministries. They also have a podcast that you can check out. And if you're dealing with sexual addiction, uh, that would be a great resource for you. Maybe there's a church near you that offers their Seven Pillars program. But I just wanted to warn you, before you get into this and maybe hear what I share and um, you know, it might be a bit of a deer in the headlights moment for you. Um, It was really powerful for me to be able to share that today because it's actually the first time that I've ever shared it in a sermon. I've shared it in conversations with people and in the close relationships that I have, but uh, I just needed you to hear this disclaimer before you walk into it. Um, and I don't want you to be deer in the headlights. Um, but I want you to know that God is continuing to redeem and transform and make me more like him and that I am experiencing freedom and joy that, that is, comes from walking in integrity and that, that, uh, you know, it's really important that we talk about these things in church because, uh, we know that there's a high amount of people in church and even outside of church that deal with this kind of issue and that we want to I want to make sure that our church is a place where people can be honest and transparent about what they're dealing with uh, and that starts with me as a leader and so I just want you to know that that it's coming up and so if you usually listen to this with your kids or you don't listen to it with with headphones on it might be a good idea to um, do that and don't go into graphic detail at all, but I just share a little bit about what God's done in my life as I am with you right now. 
And of course, uh, this Sunday was a communion Sunday as well. And I kind of included that part of the sermon in there. So if you want to join us and, and take communion, uh, after you listen to this, I would encourage you to do that. And just know that, you know, joyful fellowship with the Lord helps us to become transformed into his likeness and it, and it helps us to have more intimacy with him which is the goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus and have intimacy with God so I hope that you enjoy this podcast and that if you want to reach out with any questions or concerns or comments please email me tilcombaptist at gmail.com or check out our our website at tilcombaptist.com or get on our Facebook and like us, Tilcom Baptist Church. So, love you guys. Hope you have a great week and that this, this sermon blesses you. God bless. Our scripture reading this morning is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 2. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if any one sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for those of the whole world. Amen. That is God's word for us for today. So thankful to be with you and to um, be able to open scripture. And, um, you know, there's so much that, that is going on in the world. It's good to be reminded of the truth and of the sufficiency of Christ for our life and for the salvation that we have with, with, with the Lord. So at the beginning of this year, I stated that prioritizing connection with God, one another, and our neighbors requires intentionality. And I said that 2021 is the year of connecting. We're doing the Connect campaign to highlight how many hours that we're spending with our neighbors. And up to this week, we've spent a total of 31 hours connecting with our neighbors and people in our circle of influence. 
See, the first step in becoming a thriving church, we talked about being mission-driven over this last month. The second step, which we'll start discussing today, is to grow in the area of joyful fellowship. See, the results of being mission-driven and, and having joyful fellowship with God and one another is that we'll experience meaningful spiritual transformation as a regular occurrence in the lives of those who are part of our church and community. And so to, to discuss, to unpack this characteristic of joyful fellowship for the next three weeks, we're going to spend part of our time in the first few chapters of 1 John and then share a narrative in Acts. And, um, you know, 1 John is written by the Apostle John, and this, this was written to believers in a group of churches near Ephesus in the western half of present-day Turkey. John wrote this epistle to encourage and strengthen the believers because the first great persecution under Emperor Nero had come and gone, claiming the lives of thousands of Christians, including Paul and Peter. John is thought to have written this as the last surviving apostle, looking back at the gains and setbacks of the early church. Many Christian communities were springing up throughout the Roman Empire, and a loose structure of authority and organization was developing. This meant that John, he had to be quick at combating false doctrine and teachers such as the Gnostics. They claimed that the spirit is completely good, but matter is completely evil. Okay, that the, that the flesh is completely um, evil and the spirit is completely good. And the dualistic views of Gnosticism were also reflected in the prevalent belief that Jesus did not have a physical body. And the teaching called Docetism was springing up and they believed that Jesus only appeared to have a human body and did not experience suffering. See, there's parts of these, of these heresies that are still going throughout the world today. And, uh, and I think that it's important that when we hear people talk about Jesus, when we hear people talk about God, that we make sure that everything that we hear, that we take in, is matched against God's word. And that nothing that we let in that we let in um, would lead us astray and that we make sure to, to keep everything um, you know, in line with God and his word. So the, the reason that John, you know, like he, that John is taking care of, of addressing these is because he wants to let people know, he wants to remind them that he was with Jesus. He is with one of the original apostles. And he takes this first chapter to verify the truth of the gospel, Jesus' incarnation, and, the, and his power to forgive sins as God's son. This is why he states in 1 John 1, 3-4, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This fellowship with God and with the Son is not a mere um, regurgitation of doctrinal truths, right? 
It's a joy. It's a joy to walk with Christ and receive forgiveness because Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's why I would confidently state that joyful fellowship with Christ is highlighted by the practices of obedience and repentance. You see, Jesus is not fire insurance. He is the Son of God who died, gave his life for you and me so that we can follow him and have eternal life as we walk in the light from now until eternity. You see, you have to understand that there's a motivation that John is having for proclaiming the word of life, and it's, it's, it's for fellowship. And, and he highlights three, three, fellowship, three types of fellowship that's happening um, that he's hoping to uh, see happen more richly in these believers' lives and in our lives, you know? First is fellowship with one another. See, this fellowship is not the idea of, of course, pre-COVID, right, when you could go get coffee and a cookie, you know, fellowship is not this idea of what happens between the end of the service and when you walk to your car. See, this fellowship is, is about relationship, it's about having this common truth, we share this common truth in the gospel and in Jesus. And fellowship is a spiritual reality that we can carry anywhere we go to identify with any group of faithful believers a faithful Christ follower. So I can be here in Tilkham, and I can go to South Africa, and now maybe there are be some language barriers there, but I could be with people who love Jesus, and the fellowship that we have is based around the sufficiency and the glory of God and, and of Jesus and what he's done. The second thing that the second type of fellowship that John is emphasizing is fellowship with the Father. See, John, he wrote the book of John, right? We know that. And he's trying to reaffirm these truths about the relationship between, between Jesus and God. Because as we know from John 1, 1 through 2, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the second truth that John is reaffirming is about the relationship between humans and God. And that this is that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And Jesus answered in John 14, 6-7, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And we should follow Jesus' example of fellowship with the Father. Because Jesus, you know, throughout, throughout the Gospels, it talks about how Jesus spent time with God and praying and being alone in quiet places. And that John 5, 20, through 19 through 20, says that Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son of God, the Son, can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. So Jesus didn't go off on his own and perform miracles. He just did what the Father asked him to do. 
what the Father told him to do. And it's it's in it's through Jesus that we can come to the Father, right? And so we need to be mindful of not trying to do anything in our own strength. Because it might look good on the surface, but it won't last. Gotta be rooted in this fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son. See, John, he's reaffirming Jesus' humanity and deity because he wants people to know what is true. See, John continues to use the picture of Jesus as the Word. You know, John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He keeps using this picture. And he, he says, look, Jesus appeared on earth to me and to the other disciples, and, and he gives concrete examples about, he says, uh, that we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. They saw Jesus. They heard his words. They looked at him. They touched his, the nail-pierced hands after his resurrection. And the one response that it brought them to was worship. It was to proclaim the word of life because they had been so transformed by this fellowship with Jesus that their ultimate joy, John's ultimate joy, is that believers would have fellowship with Christ. See, this fellowship, though, it comes at being at being with God, at being in walking in His light, and it requires this honesty and transparency. And here's what verses five through seven say: This is the message that we have heard from Him, and we and declare to you: God is light; in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, God is pure light. And now if you haven't read the book of John or any of John's writings, you know that you would, you would learn, if, you, if you're just reading this for the first time, that light is a major theme throughout John's writings. Through the book of John, these epistles, and the book of Revelation, John has a lot to say about light. But the major thing that he's trying to say in this passage is that God is holy. He's without sin and impurity. That God is holy and holy other from us. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And thank goodness, because I have a lot of, we have a lot of broken ways and broken thoughts as human beings. And God is completely separate and pure from that. Now that being said, one thing I remember, I, I grew up in the church, I remember hearing a lot was God is holy and that means that, the, that he can't be in the presence of sin. Now it's true that when we get to heaven there will be no sin, there will be no brokenness, but that idea that if God is holy, that he can't be around sin, 
would be completely broken because of the word become flesh, right? Jesus encountered sin every day that he was here on earth. Now, he met that by showing the example of what a life lived for God meant, what holiness meant, what being a follower, a child of God means. And, and I think that I really love this, this quote by theologian J.C. Ryle. He says, Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God according as we find his mind described in Scripture. It is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. What a high calling we have to measure every single part of our life against God's word. And I think that if we did that, I think that if we valued holiness more, that not only would our lives look a lot different from people in the world, but I honestly think that holiness is one of the keys to joy. It's one of the keys to having joy with Christ. Because Christ wants us to be holy. God wants us to be holy. And it's a high calling. Jesus, he sets the bar. He doesn't lower it based on factors. Right? Everybody has to be raised up to God's standard, to his word. Because guess what? My opinion or your opinion don't matter if they're not um, a reflection of God's word. And you shouldn't listen to anybody who stands on the stage and is, is trying to be preaching God's word if they don't value holiness. Because they truly wouldn't be valuing God's word and what it calls us to. You see, in order to, in order to have this high, um, you know, like bar of holiness, we need to value truth. Because the reality is, is that truth is is what we need to have fellowship. First John one six says, if we claim to have fellowship with Him. And yet, walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. See, truth is not subjective or dependent upon interpretation. And that's one of the big things in our culture right now, right, is that truth is subjective. It's up to me, my truth, and your truth. They can all be different. Um, and I can interpret it any way that I want. And that's just not, that's just not how it works. Our truth is met by the standard of God's word, and, and we must champion and value truth in all aspects of life. We must expect truth from those people who are in authority over us. We must expect truth um, you know, from the sources that we rely on for, for news. We must expect truth, you know, to be able to navigate this world 
And it's not subjective or dependent upon your opinion or interpretation. And we must fight against lies and living in dishonest ways. See, the thing that we have to do before we point out where the truth isn't out of the world is to look at within ourselves and ask, where is the truth not operating fully in my life? Because there's probably ways that, that it isn't. And then we need to bring into alignment, into obedience with God and his word. Because truth and truthfulness is rooted in the character and person of God. You know that, that all truth is God's truth. From 2 plus 2 equals 4 to gravity, okay? Because God put it there. And, and to things that are in his word. Right? So we need, to, we need to recognize that truth is rooted in the character and person of God. And as we pursue truth, there's some really great results. Truth results in building this character of transparency in our lives that allows for deeper fellowship. Because we model Jesus' life in our life, right? We model this stand for truth, this love for truth. Jesus loved truth. Jesus shared the truth. And of course, Jesus shared the truth with grace, right? He was the perfect balance of grace and truth. Because I tell you what, when I get onto some social media, all I see is somebody sharing truth in a very harsh way, you know, sometimes. But you can go to the other end, too, and, and say, you know what, I'm just being grace-filled and loving, but I don't want to talk about the truth. Because it's really hard, it's really inconvenient. Well, guess what? That's not gracious and loving. If you don't share grace and truth, and I know that we all tend to defer to one or the other. And we just need to remember that Jesus modeled that perfect balance of grace and truth. And then when we do that, fellowship with one another becomes more rich. And 1 John 1, 7 says, but if but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, we have transparency because the blood of Jesus purifies us and saves us from sin, not our own human efforts. I can't point to anything that I have done to say, you know what, I was really deserving of Jesus getting up on that cross for me and dying for me and doing what he did. No, it's all by God's grace. It's all by this, this free gift that he has offered us. And we don't, we don't deserve it. You don't earn it. Praise the Lord, because I don't think that I could do that. So... Let's move into our last point here of this, of this great passage. I'm going to highlight the do's and don'ts of sin. Now that sounds very interesting. Um, I'm not saying that we do sin, right? But I'm saying here's the, here's the mentality of what we should do and what we shouldn't do about sin. Number one, don't claim to be without sin. All right? You'd be deceiving yourself. You'd be deceiving everybody else. And guess what? If you told me that you were without sin, 
I'm going to laugh a little bit. And then I'm going to say, hey, we need to talk about this because you just lied. All right? We all have something that is going on in our life that we're struggling with. And we don't want to deceive ourselves or deceive other people and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm completely perfect in every possible way. Okay, Mary Poppins. See, because when you separate yourself from truth, you begin to you separate yourself from fellowship. The fellowship that you have will go with crashing down. Because nobody likes people who are actively involved in deception or, or lying. I'm going to turn the heat up here because I can see some people are getting a little cold. See, but what you do is you do confess your sin. big thing. Confessing your sin sounds really hard. Sounds really scary. And it is. It can take a lot of courage to confess your sin. It can be scary. But you know what is on the other end of that scary feeling, that fear, is freedom. Freedom to no longer have to hide yourself. Freedom to no longer have to say, you know what, I can do it by myself. I can fix myself. No, you can't. And, and if I'm being really honest with you, my own, my own confession that I have is that, you know, there, that for me, in the past, I, I struggled with pornography. And it's something that I've worked through, that God has healed me from, that I've been having victory over. But to confess that to my friends, when I began this process of, of healing and recovery and, and coming out of being ensnared by that, it was scary. It's scary to tell you that right now. But I know that I've been freed from that. I know that I have victory. I know that I have forgiveness from Christ. I know that I have forgiveness from my wife. I know that God lets me stand here in fear of sharing this confession, not because I have done anything right now, recently, but because it's scary. It's scary to talk about it. But you know what I hope sharing this does? Is that it opens up this as a place where we can be honest. Where we can confess our sins to one another. Where we can confess our sins to God. Because God gives us forgiveness. It's beautiful. It means something when you have completely lost your way. So we have to confess our sins to one another. And sometimes that confession requires us to ask for forgiveness from somebody else. Not all the time. Sometimes we just need somebody to say, hey, this is what I need to confess. But look, 
Confessing our sins is for your benefit. It's not to broadcast your sin across the church or across the world. It's not to broadcast that, hey, you know what? I was on crack and Jesus saved me and put you on this pedestal. No. It's for our benefit to live as pure people, people of God. Because you know what? I have people in my life who keep me accountable. I have software on all of my electronics that keeps me accountable so that if an email from one of those account from that accountability software goes to one of my accountability partners, they have the ability to call me at any time, day or night, and ask me, hey, what's going on? I saw this. Now, it's not something that I had to have happen very many times because if you choose the right accountability partners, you kind of you know, give you some tough love. See, in this confession, in your sin, in dealing with sin, you need to rely completely on the sufficiency of Christ to forgive your sins. Because look, he is our advocate with the Father. He's not your accuser. Christ is not your accuser. That's, that's the devil. The devil stands before God and said and accuses us. He is, he accuses us with words, um, with things in our own, you know, that attacks our own spirit and our own mind. But if we're in Christ, God sees Christ's righteousness. He sees us with Christ's righteousness. So if we're in a courtroom and the devil was saying, you know, here's all these accusations of these sins that are laid out and telling God these things. And Christ, if Christ is your advocate, he'll stand right between you and God in the, in the middle there. Right? And he advocates for us and so, that Christ, so that God sees us clothed with Christ's righteousness. Because he alone is the righteous one. He's the only one who's Sins can, who can forgive our sins. He's the only one by which we can be saved from an eternity in hell without God. And Christ's forgiveness is available for the whole world. Okay? It's available to the world. It's never too late to call on Christ for forgiveness. It's never too late to be restored. I love what 1 John 2, 2 says. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, this doesn't mean Jesus died, and so everybody's good. All right, That's not what this is saying. You're not proclaiming some sort of universalism that because Christ came, um, everybody has already received this forgiveness. No. And, and we're not even we're not even saying that everyone is going to receive that gift of salvation because there are frankly people who will reject Christ and reject anything having to do with coming into relationship with him simply because they don't desire to do that 
they're rebellious, they're stubborn, they're ignorant. But God, we know from John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And, and let's be honest here, God loves the whole world, but not everybody's coming to believe in him. Christ provides the rescue from our bondage to sin. And it's a beautiful thing to be rescued. If your house was burning down and you couldn't get out and the fireman comes to rescue you, what are you going to do? How are you going to feel? You're going to feel thankful and grateful and maybe you even say, I love this person for what they did for me. Well, Jesus ran into the fire with no regard to himself to rescue us. And I love that. I love Jesus because he first loved me. See, the importance of our joyful fellowship with Christ it's essential that, are, that our lives are highlighted by repentance and obedience. Because to be honest, without Christ bringing us together today, we're just another nonprofit that gets together to talk about our beliefs and say, here's what we did this week, and oh, by the way, let's throw some money in at the end. No. Church is much more than that. Church is the vehicle that God is using to propel his love and his joy and his mission of saving people into the world. And I, quite honestly, can't think of any place that I'd rather be. Joy unleashes our spirit to have intimate fellowship with God and one another as a bond that no participation in a social club or a political party or even in your own family can rival. Unless, of course, your family is a believer as well, right? And that's joy. There's real joy there to know that your family is, is saved, to know that they have, they have received eternal life. Because look, the, this church, the church that Jesus has built, is empowered by him and his Holy Spirit. And our joy can be expressed through a lot of ways, through songs, through service, through prayer. And I would encourage you to think of a way that you can move further into joyful fellowship with Christ this week. Of course, I'm going to share some application with you, but, but I know that sometimes just hearing it, and writing down your notes doesn't mean that's what you're going to do. Make it for you. These are these application steps are just suggestions. See, one of the things that I like to do is to pray. And here's just a suggestion for a model of prayer that you can use in your time with 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 Christ. It is number one A stands for adoration. 
you know, giving praise and worship to God for who he is. C is confession. Confess your sins. Right? Because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. T, thanksgiving. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful day with no rain. Thank you that hopefully the Chiefs will win. Okay, didn't say that. Um, and thank you for the church that you blessed me with. Maybe something like that. And then S is supplication, which is really just a fancy word for humbly asking God to work or act on your behalf. Or as we know it in church, a prayer request. Secondly, begin a Bible reading plan. Now some of you are sitting here saying, you know what, I've been in a Bible reading plan for the last five weeks, since the beginning of the year, doing my yearly Bible. Great, I am so happy for you. I love that you are doing that, but I think that it's good to know for everybody else that isn't, that it's never too late to start reading scripture, to start really immersing yourself in God's word. Lastly, I would encourage you to take time over a family meal to share how you've experienced joyful fellowship with Christ since the beginning of 2021. Or maybe you are going to watch the Super Bowl today, and I'm sure most of you are probably going to watch the halftime show because they're pretty much all garbage anyway. Maybe you just turn that off and you start to talk, hey, this is what I've found joy from Christ in so far this year. Because it's so important to share that with one another. Because there's so much power and testimony of what Christ is doing in our lives. One of the most evident and unifying ways to remember and celebrate this joyful fellowship that we have with Christ is through partaking in communion. We remember his suffering and atoning sacrifice so that we can experience forgiveness and reconciled relationship with the Father. And I'm going to read to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 27, if you'd like to join me there. And here's what the Apostle Paul has to say. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now I'm going to ask the ushers to come up and we're going to give out the elements, bread first, and then the juice, and we're going to take it individually after some time of prayer, um, and, and uh, we'll have a little bit of music going, and then Shelly will come up and we'll do our last song. But that's the, that's the order, is bread, and then juice, and then take it as the Lord leads you. Um, so I'm going to pray before we give it out. Lord God, we just thank you. Thank you for Jesus 
and his sacrifice on the cross for us, for his broken body, for his blood, and that you have given us this gift of salvation, Lord. Now we partake in this supper to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we ask, Jesus, that you would come quickly so that your kingdom may be, may be uh, reigning and we'd be with you. But until then, Lord, we just continue to lift up our praise, confess our sins, and, and we trust in you, Lord. So I just thank you for this time of communion with my brothers and sisters. Now that it would be a rich time for us to commune with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.